to the Rockman Show. It's time for Rockman to give his opinions, his views, and his thoughts on life and rock. So grab a beer, buckle in, and get ready to rock. Again, I jinxed myself. I knew I would. I always do this shit. Fuck. Happened again. The girl and I are done. Again. Why? What did I do? I don't know. Had surgery. And uh, things went south. Huh. I don't know. Maybe they removed part of my brain. I don't even know anymore. All I know is you just heard some Titus. Until next time. And this guy, he must be through a lot of pain in relationships like your boy Ragman here. And, uh, I don't know. He's seen some good shit, man. I don't know if you dig that stuff. I dig it. It's power punk. Whatever you want to call it. Pop punk. But, uh, it's, it's, it's cool. It's just got a good beat. It's, it's, it's very upbeat, but the lyrics are like him getting over shit. And that's what your boy Ragman's trying to do. Because, uh... I said something a few shows back, and I'm like, I don't know who could ha- what could happen, you know? 
we're on third time's a charm. What could be the fourth time? Well, right now we're not in the fourth time. We're still at the end of the third time. And, uh, I don't know. Your boy Ragman's a little bumped. But it, it happens. It happens. And I think this time it's for the best. I'm not going to lie to you. I think that I've been through enough with this person to know that maybe she and I just aren't meant to be. I mean, we have that common bond that we really enjoy each other's company and stuff like that. But I don't know. I just, I don't think it's going to work. And I'm, I'm bummed about that because I really, really care about her. But I guess as far as being in a relationship, it's just not going to work. So how about let's play some harem scarum. Stranger than love. This could be your love show tonight. Let's do it. got to tell you, uh, tonight we've got a great show. Uh, I'm so excited. Uh, there's an interview. I told you. I did not lie. We have a rock interview at the end of the uh, afternoon of my nonsense uh, with a guy that I really dig. Uh, the vocals are just amazing. He's one of those guys that sings with a lot of passion and he's very melodic and just, I don't know. I don't know. I've really been a fan of his music since I discovered him in the early 90s. And it's kind of interesting because I think I discovered him at like a half-price books where they had like the little CD. So I don't know how many of you guys, you know, when, when metal was dying and stuff like that and shit, I just got, I had just gotten married in like 93. I had no money and I spent all my money on CDs and stuff like that. And it got to the point where, oh fuck, I can't afford that anymore. So I go to Half Price Books. And I think my friend Lee's done this a lot. You can get vinyl there, CDs, and stuff like that. But there was this one in Houston where you could go and they would have just a shit ton of CDs. And you just look through them and like, oh, fuck, that looks cool. How did I not know who that was? Uh, this could be cool. And for a dollar or two, you're like, fuck, what am I going to miss out on? A couple bucks? I, yeah, McDonald's has a dollar menu. We all got to eat. And back then, actually, the Whopper, you could get a Whopper for a dollar on certain days of the week. Don't get me started. 
But anyway, I found this guy, and I found several CDs, several bands. I, I mean, Caroline Spine. Uh, they're a band that I was like, who the fuck are they? But the cover looks so cool. I'm like, okay, I'll check that out. And I tell you what, this album turned out to be one of my favorites. We're going to do a little DC here, a little Caroline Spine. Nothing given means nothing can get kicked around I fear you And I occasionally think too Your insecurity makes living life tough on me But I don't know if you feel this way all the time Hear me, I don't think you're right I know you got nothing to prove So, uh, Caroline Spine was very cool. Really dug them. Uh, I'm not sure what they're doing now, but I don't think that they ever reached uh, what they should have as a band because they put out some great music. But it was in that time, again, like I was talking about, that it was when things were kind of dying down with rock stuff. So it was more grungy stuff. And then you had the new metal stuff. So these bands that put out really good music kind of got caught in this quandary of like fuck we're great we're a great band we have great tunes but no one's going to hear us because you know the i guess the industry had shifted to where that type of music just wasn't popular anymore but they were still signed so they'd be able to put out these records and stuff like that so hence you know i find these cds in the record bin and i'm like oh my god how did i not discover them sooner and now they're probably not together. I can't see them tour. I want to see them live, but maybe I can't. I mean, I, I want to say that I kind of discovered Harem Scarum that way, uh, where there was a shop, I'm trying to think, I think it was out of Chicago or something like that, that was like an online CD store right when online was starting. And fuck, I can't remember if it was online or I, I got the, the back of Metal Edge. I remember I used to call the guys like, Hey, what you got? And we got to be friends. And he would tell me, you got to check this out. You got to check that out. And he told me about Harem Scarum. And I want to say, God, what the? P Cream 69. And that's when Andy Darris was still in the band. And then uh, later on, David Friedman joined the band. And that's the era that I fell in love with. So I, I think I got, got Electrify or something like that. I Actually, me and the ex were in like uh, Paris. And they had these listing stations back when record stores, they still had record stores. And in Paris, there was this place called Gibert Joseph. Oh my God, dude. The record store was fucking phenomenal. You could go in there and basically listen to about any CD you wanted and say, okay, I want this. They would open shit and play it for you. It was fucking phenomenal. And I think Tower, like in like Europe at the time, had so many listening stations and I think that you could go up with a barcode scan it and like I want to hear this and it give you a little bit it, I don't think it gave you the full record but it gave you enough to say okay yes or no on that record so 
Now it's different. I mean, everything's on fucking YouTube for the most part. Or if you hear something, it's like, okay, I'll get on Spotify. I'll get on Apple Music, Amazon, whatever. So everything's at your fingertips. But the thing is, if you have a streaming service now, you don't pay for nothing. Well, I, I think the artists do get, I guess, some sort of money per play or something like that. But it's not the same, man. Uh, the younger folks out there that listen to me, buying the CD or vinyl or something like that is a lost start. And I think a lot of the older school people do it. And there are younger pe- people that I know that like to buy vinyl. But there was nothing like growing up and going to the record store and buying a record. And you pull off the plastic, put the vinyl on the turntable. You just spin that fucker. And then if they're good enough to like give you liner notes inside the jacket of the record, you're fucking reading that. It's like, who they think? You know... Who did Kiss think? Who did Iron Maiden think? Who did Juice Priest think? Rat, Molly Crew, all these great bands. It's like, okay, who do they think? Oh, wow, shit, they're friends with Y&T or whoever, you know? And it was so cool. And now it's like, okay, I like that song. I may listen to the full record or I'm just going to put that song on my Spotify playlist or whatever. So it's really sad that the art of... Oh, just buying a record and a fan sitting down and just locking everything out and putting on that record and saying, fuck, I love that song and I like that song. But that was a funny thing about vinyl. And I, again, I know vinyl's here, but CDs make it a little bit more convenient. Where you put on a record and you basically, you're stuck unless you want to pick up the needle and put it to the next song if the song sucks or whatever. But... A lot of people are lazy. It's like, ah, forget about it. I'll just get through it. And then I'll go to the next one. Hopefully the next one's better, whatever. But again, it's a lost art. Something I really miss uh, from my youth was turn off the lights in my room and just having the lights of my stereo kind of emulate my room and listening to a great record. I miss that. And maybe I, I still have a turntable. I have the lighted, uh, like, stereo system, but I don't do it. You know, life gets so busy anymore. I think being on a Spotify or an Apple Music or whatever you want to call it, whatever platform, Pandora, whatever you, whatever you use, it makes it so simple. And it takes away from the music listening experience, I think, as a music fan. Because I'll tell you what, on the weekends, I get my Bluetooth speaker, I have my playlist on uh, Spotify, I hit shuffle, and then I just jam the tunes. And I love it. I love it. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. But I miss the experience of a record and just immersing yourself in this record and just losing yourself and just relaxing. It's like, oh, fuck, I love this, or I don't love this. You know what I'm saying? Well, I tell you what, that's calls for a beer, uh, Mr. J.
got a good one tonight from one of my favorite breweries in all of Houston uh, and I would say even the world I love this brew uh, so my brewery is Great Heights if you ever come to Houston and you love great beer go to Great Heights and actually in the future I'm gonna be talking to some folks from there I'm not gonna give it up yet until it's locked down don't get too excited uh, so this one's called Hate's Not Hate Look at the label is basically, and actually we had this with Tomas a few episodes ago. Uh, the beer, uh, not this beer, but from the brewery. Uh, so it's a bird with the hops and hate's not hate. And just colorful. It's very cool. I really like uh, the label here. Uh, I give it a four. Very cool. Uh, so Hazy D Dippa, brewed with Citra, Mosaic, Big Secret, and several hops. And your boy, Ragman, loves several hops. Several hops give you a really good tropical coconut characteristic in the beer. It makes it so awesome. Um, so, it says, share to love and acceptance. 8.3% ABV. Let's do a little bit of the, uh, well, let's pour this bad boy. Let's uh, do that to get the full ambiance of the aroma. Does that even make sense? I don't know. Oh, shit. Look at this shit, man. Fucking... Pours out like fucking pineapple juice. So you know what's going to happen with your boy Ragman. Going to get excited over here. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, a uh, little aroma test here. Very dank. Uh, smells tropical. A lot of citrus notes. It smells like it's going to be really rich and creamy. Um, the look of the beer is by far a four. Fuck me. It's uh, kind of opaque with like orange... In a yellow pineapple juice, like almost like a mix. Uh, it looks beautiful. Uh, a lot of head. Uh, not a. I mean, the, the lacing's kind of sitting on the glass, but I don't care. Let's fucking. <laughs> we know where this is going. So I gotta clink myself. Let's do this. Mmm. Oh god. Rich, creamy. Oh, a lot of citrus. A little bit sweet, a little bit dank and bitter on the finish, but a solid, solid fucking four. John, hit the horns. All right, that calls for a song. What? I hey, don't fuck with me. I'm gonna do a bunch of love songs, a lot of ballads tonight. Cause your boy Rackman's sad. So I tell you what, let's go with a little danger, danger. Leading up to our interview. You don't know who it is yet. How about Afraid of Love? The Paul Lane version.
are out there which we played 19 summertime a while back got a film i'm gonna play that again tonight so i'm gonna let that cat out of the bag so tonight you've got paul lane which again uh when i was talking about the cds at uh half price found his first record stick it in your ear uh with some just just fucking awesome man uh i'll tell you what let's give you another song How about We Are The Young? Bruce Fairbairn produces. So that was another thing. Going back to Half Price and these record store bands and stuff like that. So I would go for like covers. Like what's their cover look like? Is it they look like a metal band, a rock band, or whatever? And then look at the back and see who produced the record. So a lot of that for me, and I think a lot of you guys out there are like me and like, holy shit, you know, Bo Hill produces, so it's got to be good. Or Bruce Fairbairn or whoever. Bob Rock, and he's 
producers from like the 80s, some are still doing it, or 90s, whatever. Um, if they produced it, so it's got to be good because they had to like convince this producer guy, if he's in high demand, to produce a record. So that's what I used to do. So I like it. I mean, I've, again, found some gems, found some gold. And again, this Paul Lynn record, Caroline Spine. Uh, there's there's many, many more. I mean, I could go on. And we could play songs and songs and songs. And, but we would never get to the interview with Paul. Paul's important here. And what a great fucking guy. Dude was so awesome. So, anyway, I'm going to wind to you for one more time. And then uh, we're going to jump into this interview. So, ladies, I'm going to put it out there. Your boy Ragman's free. Free's a bird. So, I know you're excited. <laughs> I was, I was gonna say yes, but that sounded really creepy when you said it. Yeah, like a fucking bathing suit. Oh! I'm sure that's happened. All the women that listen to my show are getting so excited. Their nipples are hard and their panties are getting wet. I'm sure that's happening. Don't kid yourself. It's not. Well, thanks for bringing me down. Now I'm bummed out again. I kind of thought about it for a second. Jeez. Oh, I don't know. What's going to happen in my life? <laughs> I don't know. Life is weird. I don't get it. I don't get it. At least I have great music. And I have great beer. To keep me going. But real quick. Uh, to follow up on last week's show. I ended up seeing Hammerfall in the same venue as the one that John stuffed up the toilets in a Treyu in Point North had to cancel. And dude, I, I'll tell you this, this is kind of interesting. So, it's, I don't know if this is just between friends or what, but there was like a conspiracy theory thinking that Atreyu said we sold 100 tickets, so... We are going to cancel and do something different. Uh, but I told my friend today that gave me this theory. I was like, I don't think so. He goes, why? He goes, I thought you bought a ticket and my friend Chase and his girlfriend bought a ticket. So they sold three tickets. He said, well, there's only three people going, so we got to cancel. <laughs> but no, seriously, uh, there was a septic uh, issue at the club, and it's so bad. They're moving everything to another club, uh, which they're affiliated to. So, Anyway, Hammerfall was awesome. They were really cool. I wish I could have caught them with Halloween, where they played in Dallas, but the next day was Mother's Day. Ragman had to see his mom. Moms are important. Without your mom, you're not here. Or your dad. So, anyway, guys... Thank you for listening, uh, and I want to give you one big horns up. Before I do, though, we're going to play you some more Paul Lane, and then we're going to play you some Defiance. And this new record, I got to tell you, Drive is so fucking awesome. You're going to hear a couple songs. It's not out yet, so I can't play you too much, but I hope you like what you hear, and I hope you like 19 Summertime, which I played a couple shows back, which is just a I'm ready to crank that mother. It's summertime almost. And I'm going to roll down the windows and be screaming 19 summertime. But before that, I'm going to be screaming 
Holds up. Hey everybody, this is Paul Lane, and you're listening to The Ragman Show. Dug this guy for a lot of years and had tried to talk to him a couple years ago, but Bruno Ravel stopped in and said, no, I'm doing the interview. Now, <laughs> but uh, I'm talking to Paul Lane from The Defiance. You might know him from uh, Danger Danger or his solo stuff or Dark Horse or Destiny Junkies. So this guy's doing a lot. Paul, welcome to the Ragman Show, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Having me. And uh, just so you know, uh, this year I won both the coin toss and the arm wrestle against Bruno. So, you know, you got me. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, dude. I love your vocals. You have such a powerful voice and you just, your songs are very heartfelt and you can kind of feel the emotion when you sing. And I love that about your vocals. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're a writer, I guess, and the singer, you know, it's a lot easier to connect to the lyrics that you write. And, um, you know, I'm a small town guy. I, I, uh, I, I ended up, um, you know, buying a house in the town I grew up in. And uh, I always stay super kind of connect. Like for me, where I live, the magic's here for me as a composer. And uh, I sometimes feel that that kind of has a lot to do with how and what I write about. Well, I just real quick question. Well, let's kind of go backwards in time real quick before we sure, get to science. Sure. Just a little story here. So uh, I discovered you on Stick It In Your Ear, uh, which is released in the 90s. I think in Canada you did okay, but at that point, I guess our rock world was crumbling with grunge starting to come yeah, in well, and stuff like that. Yeah, it was, I mean, that was a, we, you know, I, I'm, I'm the five minutes late guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I had a decent career here, more so in, because I was signed to um, the American label, Canada never viewed me as a Canadian artist. So it was, wow. it was a lot harder to get airplay in Canada than it was the States, Europe, Japan, South America, places like that. Um, because, uh, you know, back then, Canadian arms of their American counterpoints did not play nice together. So, you know, if you were signed to Warner Brothers in America, Canadian Warner Brothers didn't really want to promote you um, or do as little as they could for you. 
simply because there was a lot of infighting. You know, that was back in the time where there was independent radio promotion and uh, people were trying to get favors for, like, for example, if you were if you were signed to Warner's Canada and you're trying to get, you have a guaranteed American release, they only had to release it in one city. That's it. Then your oh, contract wow. is good. Yeah. So there was a lot of weirdness going on in the in the record industry back then, and it affected me. Just being a being a Canadian artist signed to the American side of the label um, helped me long long term in terms of of a career um, because I can still tour globally because of that. Had I signed to Canadian record label, I probably would have had a great career in my home country, but nowhere else in the world. So yeah, it's a, it's a, was a sort of strange dichotomy back then, and something that everybody was fighting. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of Harem Scarum. They're from Canada as well. Great band, yeah. And great Saints band. and Sinners, but they had they were kind of one and done. They were really right. good too. Yeah, out of Montreal, I remember those guys. It's just crazy. There was so much great music, but there was just so much saturation with everything coming out. You know, Sunset Strip and stuff like that. Everybody had a band. And I think that kind of killed the oversaturation, kind of killed the music we love. And artists like you didn't get a fair shake because there was just so much to pick from, you know? Yeah, that's true. And then when grunge came along, look, hey, everybody's younger kid brother or kid sister doesn't want to listen to the same music. Yeah, yeah. The older generation, you know, you got to define your yourself and and your generation by something new. And so, you know, that's uh, that's kind of what happened there. So after that, you joined Danger Danger. How did Bruno and those guys discover you? I, I was always kind of curious about that. Was yeah, it from well, your record or? Yeah. So the thing is, is they were a fan of my first record. And I think, you know, back then, everybody bought anything that Bruce Fairburn produced because yeah. <laughs> he was such a great guy. producer. Yeah. 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 So I was very, very fortunate to to have Bruce produce my first record. And the engineer on that album was a guy named Erwin Musburg. He was a, a Dutch engineer and he'd worked, uh, you know, Mick Jagger, Tina Turner. He worked uh, with Mutt Lang on Hysteria, the Def Leppard record. And uh, so Fairburn tapped him to do my album. Um, after um, uh, Fairburn and Musper made my record, Danger Danger started trying to get Bruce Fairburn to produce their second album. And um, uh, Fairburn turned them down, but Erwin Musper heard about it and he said, uh, hey, you know, um, I did that Pauline record. I can get you that same sound. So that's how I met them. Uh, oh, wow. Erwin called me one day and he's like, hey, listen, these knuckleheads want your phone number. Is it okay if I, <laughs> I'm making their album? Is it okay if I give it? <laughs> and uh, I'm like, yeah. So that just started a phone friendship with Steve and Bruno, just, you know, talking shop, talking music. I still had my, my record deal. They were making their album. And and uh, that's it. The years kind of went on after, after that. And um, I never knew of any troubles that they were having, you know, inter-band fighting and problems with their singer and stuff. So, uh, uh, and one day they just called me out of the blue and said, hey, we got our third record done. Um, we're firing our singer. We really want you to come join. Would you consider it? And they sent me the album, which is you now know as Cockroach. And I was like, I got to do this. Yeah. I loved it immediately. So, uh, and it was the first, to, to me, it was like a serious, more serious record that they were making. And, um, and, and yeah, I loved the song. So that, that was it. I packed up, went to New York and and work with them for 12 years. 
That's awesome. So let me ask you that. Well, I think part of the defiance came from Serafino from Frontiers liking that era of the band that you were in and said you guys should do something. Is that kind of how everything came together? Yeah. So well, I think I think really what happened is, um, you know, I I took a step back after I did the shoegazer record and I had left Danger Danger and I decided I'm gonna go on the other side of the console for a while and just be producing. So, um, and it wasn't till I had formed Dark Horse and kind of, you know, people got the, the idea that I'm out there as a writer and performer again, Frontiers started making ah. me solo, solo record offers, which at the time I thought was, I mean, I think that started in 2012 and uh, I kept saying no, not because I, you know, wasn't interested in doing it, but I, my hands were full with Dark Horse and I thought, well, this is, and I was fully entrenched in Nashville. So I kind of thought, well, this is what I'm doing right now. I, I can't really jump and go, go do this. So every year they offered me a record deal straight through to 2015. And then they kind of came in the back door and they went to Bruno and said, <laughs> You know, be really compelling if you guys wrote a record together. And now Bruno's one of my best friends. You know, ever since I was in Danger Danger, we we carried awesome. on a friendship through all my years. I I you know after I left the band, and uh, you know just just laughing like a you know we talk to each other a couple times a week like twelve year olds trading jokes and you know <laughs> just stupid shit, right? Awesome, like, awesome. Yeah. So I. I uh, it was smart on Frontier's part because, I, you know, my reasons for doing it was really sentimental. It was like, when I was in Danger Danger, we made one record together where we were all writing together. And that was very difficult because, you know, I was kind of third wheel, new guy, um, yeah. you know, uh, kind of the, the mistress in the marriage between Steve and Bruno. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go write a song with Paul. I'm going to write a song with Paul. All right. So... And that, you know, we, although Steve and I would kind of agree on things, Bruno and I would agree more during those writing sessions. Um, so I just thought, man, this would be compelling to, to make a record with him and, and also making music with friends is a pretty cool thing. So we, we just, we said, you know, let's do it, thinking nothing of it. Um, you know, we kept saying to each other while we're writing it, no one's going to buy this record. No one's going to give a shit. <laughs> Let's... And in that spirit, we just made the record that we wanted. We even told Frontiers, like, uh, don't give us the advance. Don't just hold on to everything. Uh, Bruno and I'll make this record. We want to make the record that we want to make. Uh, if you don't like it, cool. You can get rid of the deal. You can, you can keep the money and, uh, so we handed in the record in three months and and they loved it uh we still thought nothing would happen and uh two weeks after it came out it hit billboard like number 44 on the heat seekers chart and we were like what what just <laughs> yeah so there goes that idea that you know so that was crazy it was a just a cool um rocket ship ride for me um when that happened i think i was like 48 or 49 and i'm going this doesn't happen at this late in life right <laughs> so yeah that was cool and and so we just kind of continued on you know writing and and kept getting you know uh, another offer from frontiers to make another record so that kind of brings us to, to today well that's pretty awesome because i might quite one of my questions was did they go in and say we want 
Cockroach or one of the Glory Days D2 records that Paul sang on? Or it sounds very organic with you and Bruno and just said, let's just yeah. write a record and see what comes out. Yeah, and we wanted to, like, we were very conscious of going, like, look, I wanted to give, like, a tip of the cap to the, the old days, but I didn't want to make a record from the old yeah. days. I think there's a million bands trying to do that, and, and uh, it didn't hold any interest for me. And part of that, that's part of the same reason that I was like, uh, if I make a record for Frontiers, I kind of want to do it my way. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I think that we created a sound that, that does that, and I, I still think it sounds fresh at the same time. I agree, 100%. The produ production for me is really big. And the production yeah. on the new record in particular is so solid. I, did you produce it or? Dude, two years making that record. Holy uh, shit, really? Yeah, Bruno and I uh, do the pr producing together. Um, Bruno does all the mixing. Uh, he's he's an amazing mix engineer. Amazing, amazing. He's amazing everything, amazing musician. Uh, Bruno is playing all the rhythm guitars on the record as well. A lot of people don't realize that every single okay. record that we do, you know, he's playing, uh, he's playing bass and uh, and guitar and lots of the keyboards, you know, the majority of the keyboards. Um, you know, I get uh, I get to play keyboards on like, uh, you know, <laughs> intro sequences, whatever piano uh -huh. parts or whatever. Um, but but at the end of the day, yeah, he's he's the guy doing that. And you know, I come in, you know, how we work together is he sends, you know, uh, a beat and a riff, and we just start from there. And um, and I, you know, will come up with sometimes half, sometimes three quarters of the melodies. Sometimes he, you know, this record was really like the first time I think we we approached every song. Like he would come up with a chorus, and then I would come up with a chorus for the next one. I would write all the verses, and um, yeah, it was cool. I think I think this was like the most. Um, how do I put it? I don't know what I'm saying here. I, I'm trying to say that um, it was more of a collaborative effort uh, in terms of melodies with each other, at oh, more nice. than ever before. Yeah. Whereas, like a lot of times, hey, I'd get a, I'd get a beat and a riff, and you know, maybe a completed song in terms of, of, of the music being written, and then I would just write, you know, the, the hooks and melodies and the lyrics and stuff. This was different. This album. So I think both of us were really satisfied with working that way. Instead of going, oh, I'm going to put all the pressure on you for this task, and you're going to put all the pressure on me for that task. So, so as a collaborative, collaborative effort, it was kind of really satisfying for us both. Well, I will say this, and uh, it's like two-parter. Uh, I think the new record is, shows a lot of growth from like the first one, the second one, to the third one. The brand new one called Drive, out on Frontiers on June 9th. But this one to me is so cohesive and I think it's it's by far my favorite right now, maybe because it's oh. fresh and I'm listening to it and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, no, but, awesome. Awesome. That's great. Dude, I was like listening because it's on stream and I'm like, holy shit, I, I, I go for walks and stuff like that. And I was like, fuck, I love this song. Fuck, I love it. And I just kept, I was like, okay, I'm going to run out of place. So let me go to the next one. And then I kept doing it, doing it, doing it. I was like, this is such a strong, good anthemic, just melodic rock with a little bit of punch in it type record for me, which I will be honest with you, I've kind of fallen out of that. I'm an old school guy where yeah. I like uh, like pop punk and 
metal and stuff like this, and I haven't had a melodic rock record kick my ass as hard as your record. Thank and you. Where I was like, I just want to keep listening. It's so good. Thank you. Yeah, this is lots of little. We worked really hard to do lots of little kind of production things and ear candy. They're like, you know, when you listen to it the second or third time, you go, oh, I didn't hear that before. Yeah. Right. There's lots of little things. And I think the thing is, is, you know, generally how Bruno and I approach records is, is, um, you know, we're listeners, too. I, I like to put on, you know, my favorite records I listen to from beginning to end. And I know that it's old school of me to think that anyone out there these days is listening to a record from beginning to end. Yeah. I just hope that they are. You are. And so that makes me happy because I really feel and I know Bruno does as well that, you know, if you make a record that way, it kind of tells a story um, and it kind of takes you on, you know, for lack of a better cliche term, it takes you on a journey, right? From beginning to end. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so when it's over, you feel like, hey, I want to play that again, or I'm going to put this in my car and listen to this whole album. That's the kind of record we seek to make. And we do realize there's a lot of bad records put out by other bands in this genre. And, um, and you know, it makes me sad because, uh, you know, I, I think some of the greatest artists, and this is not me knocking it down, it's just me, you know, as an observation to say, you know, don't leave this career doing, making your, you know, the last piece of work you did your worst, you know? Yeah. As a exactly. legend, man, just carry on, like, giving people the what they want and, and what they hope and dream and expect from you, you know, so... So we we carry that kind of emotion into making these records and we really beat each other up over every song and every production thing and every riff to the, you know, to the point, hey, we're still talking. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, I want to say so during my walk yesterday, uh, one of the songs really stuck out to me and, and there's others that have hit me earlier on, but the one yesterday, I'm going through a breakup and love doesn't live here anymore. I was reading that. I was like, does Paul, is he like know what I'm doing, what's going on in my life? Because it's it's really fucked up what's going on in my life. But it really spoke to me. And I was like, oh, shit. I, I really zoned in on the lyrics. I'm like, holy shit, this is what I'm going to. So it really touched me as a fan listening to music. So tell me a little bit about that song. Was it a breakup or is it just you writing a great yeah, song well we've you know we've all been through breakups and i've and you know um i kind of articulating a few things like you know i grew up um i grew up as a foster kid i went through five families and then i you know i was adopted at five i left home at 13 and was out on my own uh from then and um another family ended up taking me in so my whole life has been kind of a you know i had a lot of heartbreak and loneliness and um i don't begrudge it because it's what you know led me to being a composer was was all of that kind of you know angst and insecurity and um and need and you know needing to get this feeling out um so yeah that that song is basically about losing your life with somebody right yeah i mean yeah, you build totally. you build years and years and years and all of a sudden it's gone and so you know how do you reconcile that 
And um, so, yeah, that I, I wanted to be as poignant as I could in telling that tale. And I wanted to put it in a way that, look, uh, one of my favorite lyricists of all time is Don Henley. He always okay. says things in a way that I just go, man, I wish I said it that way. You know, like some lines just like punch me in the gut. And so when I when I was writing Love Doesn't Live Here Anymore, I, I wanted to just be honest about it all. Right. Oh, oh yeah. It spoke to me, man. It told yeah, me. Yeah, I don't want to hold back anything. So that's why I just, you know, I put I, I worked and worked and worked on what I really wanted to say about it. And and so, yeah, there, I, I guess I did my job. So I, <laughs> yeah. I should thank you because <laughs> I don't know. I, I just yeah. I do it, put these songs out into the world and I have no idea what it means to anybody. It, just, it means the world to me. Right. Yeah. So yeah. at first and and then when I'm done, I think, oh, I've said it. Then I'm ready to just wince and put it out. To the world. <laughs> there you go. Well, the first song that got me and on a happier note, and I actually featured this song on a show a couple episodes back because it struck me. 19 Summertime. 19 Summertime! I, and I went back to like the days of me being in high school and cranking Raised on Radio by Journey and 5150 yes. by Van Halen. Yes. Uh, Y&T, Summertime Girls. Right. I, I said, it's a lost art. And I did a whole thing about your song. I said, check out The Defiance, go buy the record. This is going to be the next big summer record for me. And it will be. So tell me about that one. And I'm sure you were thinking, let's write a good old school summertime yeah, rock song. You got it. Um, first of all, I got, it's funny. I did an interview and someone was sort of mean about it. You know, like, really? hey, what's a guy? Yeah, what's a guy like your age doing writing a song about about this? And I am go, if not now, when am I ever going to write about it? And yeah. I think it's like, and I don't care that there's a couple cliches in there. That's on purpose, you know. Um, I wanted to create the feeling that I had when I was 19. I wanted to put that innocence and and um, connection to my hometown and everything I went through. Um, that's hard to package in. Harder to package in a song than people realize. Like there's oh, a I certain bet. 
yeah, there's a certain art to writing a song like that. A song like that is easy to, to dismiss because it just seems so lighthearted. But at the end of the day, man, it's way harder for me to write that kind of song than it is yeah. to write, um, you know, a hard, a hard rocker. It just is. So I wanted to connect to both musically. Like to me, I don't know if anyone can hear a little 38 special in there, but there's like a little tip of the cap to those guys. Oh, nice. <laughs> Ryan is a little tip, tip of the cap to my, my hometown hero, Brian Adams. I mean, I grew up, but you know, half the reason I got in the music business was because of following him, you know, he's a local guy and, and I ended up with the same management as him and oh, awesome. whatever. But I just kind of molded my, when I was a teenager, I molded my career after what I thought he would do. And that, that really did help me get there but yeah 19th summertime uh i just i just wanted it to be like a time machine when someone put it on that's what i wanted oh, i yeah. wanted that for me too right so goal achieved sir <laughs> goal what's achieved. that i said goal achieved okay it took good. me back man it totally took good, me back good good that's what i want well the last song uh, i wanted to mention uh because i could probably talk about every one of them but this is another one that really got me yesterday where i just kept on scrolling back to hear it again was what are we waiting for uh, thank you oh well, you're the first one really thank you thank you yes it's my one of my favorite songs uh on Dude, the it's so solid so thank solid you. tell thank me about you. that one well okay look it's no i wear my heart on my sleeve uh everybody knows that and i mean musically as well so to me that song every 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 record I've ever made, like with Danger Danger or The Defiances, I always want to push that envelope with adding something that maybe a band of our genre wouldn't do, right? So to me, that's like a great, could be a great pop song, could be a great rock song, right? It's kind of yeah. in that, like, if the killers got in a car crash with, you know, an 80s rock band, you might, <laughs> you might have that. And, and there's a lot of Bruce Springsteen-isms in there as well for me, because I'm, I'm a massive, you know, uh, Springsteen, all, all those old guys, Bob Seger, like, lyrically, I love that stuff, so um van morrison so i get i kind of can put those influences that i have and sneak them under the door that no one really knows that it, but if you listen to it and you start thinking about it yeah that bridge man that would be a springsteen bridge if it was in a springsteen song you know yeah. from born to run era right but you know people will listen to it go it makes me feel something but i can can't put my finger on it well that's that's what songs like that are for me. I, I guess um, uh, it's it's one of my favorite songs on the record because it's like I don't have to hold back when I write a song like that, right? Yeah. It's just one yeah. of those things that I go, oh, the record label would probably never let me put this on the record, <laughs> but they have no power over that because right. we're allowed to do whatever we want. That's <laughs> so, awesome, y'all can so Thank too. you, thank you, thank you for mentioning that song. Oh, you're welcome. And I get the, cause I kind of got a Bon Jovi feel, but he's a huge Springsteen fan. Yeah, Not what yeah, he's doing yeah. now, but early or earlier stuff. And now that you say Springsteen, it's like, yeah, that's what John was going for back in the day on, uh, what's that record called? It wasn't Slippery, it was the one after oh, Slippery, New, New, New Jersey. Jersey. New yeah. Jersey, sure. And sure. he went total Springsteen on that record. Sure. Some of the songs, sure. like Blood on Blood and stuff like that. So, right, right, right. I, I kind of got that, but man, your vocals are so freaking powerful. And you're a singer that I love because I can feel what you're singing because you're so passionate when you sing. So, 
I, I really appreciate about that about your vocals for sure, man. Thank you. Thank you. That's a big compliment. Well, uh, do you guys, I know you get to play a little bit, uh, mainly festivals and stuff like that. Have you ever, now that the, I guess the market's opening up, it's still probably not really profitable to tour, <laughs> but have you all thought about maybe doing a little tour in the U.S. or are you going to do some shows in Europe? Yeah, I mean, I would look, I, look at uh, Bruno has a certain price that he won't leave his front door for. <laughs> so well, I whereas get that I'm like too. the guy like, just give me a van and throw some gear in it. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and that's not throwing him under the bus. And I get it. You know, he's, he's had a long career. And um, and so we, we tend to play Europe just because and, and festivals because, you know, they they offer really decent money to, to go play over there. Um, I'm not saying we wouldn't go play the States. Um, I, I would love to, but it would probably be in a more, more festival format, like maybe M3, Rocklahoma, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and you know, you got to remember, we got to fly a guy from Sweden uh, as well. <laughs> so, oh. our guitar player lives in Stockholm, right? I live yeah. uh, on the on the west coast, and Bruno lives on the east coast. So we couldn't be more geologically uh, uh, like, you know, further away from each other. So geographically, further away from each other. Well, Rob's guitars on this record are phenomenal, and oh that's God, something I was telling a friend of mine. I was like. If you don't like the, the copier, you know, a little bit more melodic rock, listen to the guitars and then you'll get everything. You Because there's edge with the production where it's heavy, it's melodic, it's not too heavy, stays very melodic, and then Rob is shredding. And I'm starting to yeah. see like guys like Nuno are like back and you're getting big guitars again, which is very encouraging. Man, I love that shit in music. Yeah, me too. Me too. We, we, we and we're just trying to do it without uh, being ridiculous, you know. I got you. Well, Paul, before we let you go today, is there anything you want to tell the fans out there? Oh man, I just want to thank everyone for their continued support. Um, certainly made a dream of mine come true with with being able to make the kind of records that I want, and that has more to do with everyone out there buying it and sharing it and um and kind of keeping this music alive than it does with me creating it so so thank you thank you all everybody well paul before we end the show we're going to end the show with the first single hey life tell us a little bit about that starts a record and that's when i heard it, i was like fuck that's heavy i yeah. like this man so i was in store for this right great record and it is not disappointing. It's so solid, man. Thank you. Well, Hey Life was just Bruno and my frustration with the, we were, him and I were going through so much during the pandemic, as everybody was, but you know, problems with uh, with his folks and uh, problems with the folks that took me in, you know, all our all our parents are, are um, you know, at that stage where they're aging and having medical issues and, and so we would, we made this record. It felt like in a hurricane, you know, it'd be stop, start, stop, start. So, Hey, life was just like all of our frustration in one song. And I think it's kind of, you know, a lot of people felt that same frustration. So, oh yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Well, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the Ragman show, thank dude. You. It was a blast and an honor to talk to you again. Huge fan. Uh, keep making great music and you're welcome on my show anytime brother we hey, can talk I'll for hours i got that feeling <laughs> all right man i'll do it anytime thank you so much